0: If you have something to say, I'd like to hear it. I want a divorce. Are you asking me for a divorce? Divorce?
1: I will divorce you so fast it'll make your head spin. I want a divorce. I want a divorce.
0: I want a divorce. I want a divorce. I want
1: a divorce. I want a divorce. I want a divorce. I want a
0: divorce. This is Dallas Divorce Talk with Don Butner and Carla Calabrese. Don and Carla guide you deep inside the world of divorce through all the ins and outs, ups and downs, and any unexpected turns. Now, your hosts, to have and to hear, Dawn Budner and Carla Calabrese. Hello, Dallas. This
2: is Dawn Budner here with my co-host, Carla Calabrese, on Dallas Divorce Talk, on RNCN. And today, we are going to take you through an initial consultation. Imagine you are visiting the office of your proposed family lawyer for the first time what to expect
1: Carla (laughs) well um, you know Dawn I've been doing this for ever it seems so you know well over 20 years and have had lots of initial consultations with with folks right and so um, i uh, think it's helpful if you are thinking about a divorce and about scheduling an initial consultation that you have some idea of what it might look like feel like what you might have to bring what will be discussed and you know what you might want to hear from a lawyer that you might not hear And what we think, you know, would be a good, would be some good topics for you guys to discuss. So, um, one thing that I do in my consultations that I think a lot of, um, people don't do and, and, and I have my reasons for it is I talk a lot about family of origin.
2: And family of origin means the family that you grew up with, your parents, your siblings.
1: Right. It's, it's, it's basically the family you grew up with, um, you know, your parents have the greatest influence and impact on your life, and how you're going to parent and how you're going to be in an intimate relationship will be very directly related to what happened to you as a child. I think that's one of those things that people really don't even realize or know about, and it's one of those topics that, you know, people don't want to talk about. I can tell you, like, there how many times have I used that word, family of origin, and, you know, a good 60 to 75 percent of the people are like, what? You know, they have no clue.
2: Well, people think that's in the past. Right. And either, you know, maybe they had a happy childhood or if they didn't, they think, why does that matter? I have no intention of repeating the mistakes that were made that's right. when I was growing up. That's
1: right. That's right. That's they right. Just, they just don't realize how much more deep-seated and deep-rooted those, um, those those experiences in their family of origin really are to how they deal with marriage and being in relationships. So, I want to know, you know, I want to ask you everything I can about not only your family of origin if you're my client, but I want to know about your spouse's family of origin. Why? Because the truth of the matter is is I'm if you're going to if I'm going to represent this client, I want to know and understand how they tick best I can, and I want to know and understand how their spouse ticks, you know, what triggers them, what what happened to them in their past that might um, help me as a family lawyer helping my client get through a process. Um, help, just help me to deal with that other person. We do a lot of collaborative law in our in our office, you know, Calabrese Huff, and so a lot of what I have to do as a really you know um, skilled collaborative lawyer, if I want to be, is I have to be able to reach across the table to my um, my spouse, my client's spouse, and have some connection, right. and so understanding where that person's coming from is very, very helpful. And
2: Yes, we, t- we went to a seminar mm-hmm. on attachment issues yeah. relating to this. Right. And it was really interesting because my nature is to assume that everyone wants a hug from me <laughs> and that everyone wants me to share with them. And one thing that we learned about is that certain folks that have attachment issues would not appreciate me touching them right right and so just actually going through the process of trying to think through how that person with their issues might receive either lawyer or an offer or a strategy right. is helpful right? right and
1: all that attachment theory goes back to you know family of origin for the most part. Now you know I'm not a psychologist. I'm not trying to sit here and and, and espouse like I am but I hang around a lot of them in my (laughs) collaborative practice and I've been to a ton of like you know like you're saying Don. we went to the attachment theory one. I mean we do a lot of um, uh, you know education in the in that realm which is is helpful for us but uh back to initial consultation the other thing that um so family of origin huge i really want to drill down and i know that that that's something that i think is helpful to my client Um, the other thing that we do in our consultations is we're going to talk process we're going to talk process 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 meaning what are your options You know, what different ways can you get divorced? And there are several different ways. There
2: are. And, you know, really most times I would say I think the clients come in with some idea about how they want to approach things. Many times they're not fully informed on all of the options, though. And really it's our goal straight up to try to convince the clients to do collaborative If at all possible. Right. And we haven't done a full show on collaborative yet, and we will do that and help people understand exactly what's involved there. But, you know, the main reason, apart from the hundred other reasons that I try to push people in that direction is because I feel like at the end of the process, when you are divorced, you actually may have begun to heal if you've used the collaborative model. Whereas with litigation, you are nowhere close to beginning to heal the new
1: wounds that have been created through that process. Yeah, that's a really good point. So yeah, so collaborative is one way that we will share with you in an, in an initial consultation, you'll, you'll hear about that, you should hear about that. If you are in a counselor's office, and you do not hear the word collaboration at all, and you're there for a divorce consultation, that's that's kind of a bit of a red flag, I think, I think you need to really think long and hard and make sure that you're getting all. Options that are available to you. Collaborative is a statutory option,
2: and you might ask them if they say that they do collaborative. You might ask them how many collaborative cases they've actually handled, because there are some lawyers who don't really understand that collaborative is a specific process. It doesn't mean you're just you know kind of nice. Yeah. means you, you are following a specific process that is has developed over a number of years and is very successful for a reason. Right, so right, right. That's that's our pitch, yeah. and you know if you want to hear more about collaborative then you can go to our website. You can send us emails, dawn or Carla at com. Let us know what questions you have and we'll address those in, in later shows. Um, but again, back to the initial consult to touch on something Carla just said. When you're interviewing lawyers, you want to get a feel for whether the attorney that you're talking to seems to be of a like mind with you. So if you are you know wanting to do bullish litigation you've got a lot of extra money that you'd like to offer to the county of Dallas (laughs) then you know you're gonna be looking for a certain kind of lawyer if you want to do something different then hopefully they don't lead with that so we're gonna talk a little bit more now in the next segment about specifics that you will hear during the initial consultation with your divorce lawyer
0: Divorce Talk, coming up next. To
1: coast, to coast, to coast, to base, to you're tuned in to the Real News Communications Network, streaming 24 hours a day at realnewscn.com and the RNCN app.
0: Here for you through thick and thin, you're listening to Dallas Divorce Talk on RNCN. The heart is a blue. Hello, Dallas!
2: Dawn Budner and Carla Calabrese back with you on Dallas Divorce Talk on RNCN. We have little Bono there. Shout out to my (laughs) husband, Craig (laughs) Budner. He thinks he's in the band. So we are going to talk this segment more specifically about the law and what is Texas law when it comes to your rights on property issues. That's this segment. And as you guys probably have heard, Texas is what we call a community property state. Carla, you want to tell them what that means?
1: Well, what it means is is that, in and what I think people think it means, is that um, everything gets divided 50-50. But really what it means in Texas is that the judge would make a just and right division of the property. Uh, there's a presumption in Texas that, properties, community. That's that's the presumption. But this concept of 50-50, which everybody thinks, not everybody, but a lot of people think, hey, you know, that's what it is. That's what I can expect. Um, that's not necessarily true at all. It's a just and right division under Texas law.
2: And who decides what
1: is just and right? Um, well... The judge decides what is just and right, and um, you know if you get to the courthouse, which you know hopefully you won't have to actually get there because that's expensive and pricey. Um, but that's but that is the standard to uh, which you are you are looking at when you're when you're thinking about um, when you're negotiating and dealing with your divorce. Um, so just
2: and right really makes the case against having a court decide on your property division because if that sounds a little vague and amorphous well it is and on appeal should you get a really horrible decision the standard is an abuse of discretion so you better hope that the judge is going to see things your way if you put the decisions about property in the hands of a judge right
1: Right, exactly. It's kind of a
2: scary thing to do, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and so we're talking about community property. There's also separate property. And separate property is that property that a spouse owned before marriage or that was received during marriage by gift or, you know, inheritance or that sort of thing. But like Carla said, there's a presumption that everything in the estate is community property unless a party can prove that it is separate, and there are a bunch of complicated rules there on tracing and that sort of thing that that can come into play in determining that. Separate property, obviously, if there is a determination, then that one spouse would own it without having to share.
1: Right, exactly. Right.
2: And what about, you talked about uh, the 50-50 concept right. out there. Right.
1: So so you know especially got you guys out there. I mean, I know you come in and for the most part you're like 50-50, 50-50, 50-50. We hear it all the time. And you know, that's not something that is I'm not I'm saying isn't uh, typically what happens, but there are factors that a court can look at that would give possibly one person in the marriage a disproportionate share and it would not be 50-50. Um, If you have disparate earning capacity or income, you know, one spouse has disparate earning capacity. We have that all over the place in Dallas. Absolutely. Well, a lot of
2: times you've got one one spouse, and it's usually the woman who will put her career aside and stay home with the children to raise them. And, you know, frankly, in a lot of cases that we have, we've got women in that position. And it seems that a lot of times the men are of the view that... Because they're the wage earners, then they maybe have more of an entitlement or right to that money than the wife does. But that's not the way the law sees it. It's right income earned by either spouse is both spouses' property during
1: marriage. Right, exactly. And the dis- disproportionate share comes into being if you have, let's say, um, you know, 25 year marriage. Let's say, 59 year old woman and we have a high-income earner husband, well, I can pretty much let that client know whether it be, you know, let's say the husband. You're probably going to be paying some alimony if, in fact, that, um, well, I I just jumped to alimony, but you could have a disproportionate division, um, or alimony, but a disproportionate division given the fact that that uh, spouse, your wife spouse, has very disparate um, earning capacity, so that's 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 in one way. Right.
2: So the judge feels like, look, the wage-earning spouse after the marriage is going to be able to go ahead and continue earning a right. high wage, right. whereas the other spouse is going to need a bigger share of the estate. That's right. That's right. Right. And then other other reasons that the judge might not go fifty-fifty would include fault in the divorce we've just had a segment last time about adultery that's definitely a reason that the judge can award a disproportionate division
1: what Carla what's your sense for how often the judges do that well you know I think that uh, what I tell my clients is this you know The judges, you know, who are phenomenal, you know, um, people and and have a tough job and they're smart people and they're all, you know, lawyers that understand the law, especially in Dallas, but they can get desensitized. I mean, it's hard to um, go into a case where there was an affair and act as if you were lily white throughout the marriage and therefore you should get 75 percent because Somebody had a digression and you were perfection throughout the whole marriage. Well,
2: and and you raise another point being a litigator myself that, you know, we had one case recently where the husband had a videotape of the wife that was a good hour long (laughs) um, of her indiscretion in their marital bedroom. And, you know, the initial instinct on the part of the husband might be, okay, slam dunk here. You know, I'm going to go into court with this and she's going to be lucky to, you know, come out with her her hat. But like you're saying, what ends up happening is first off that, you know, the judges are going to be people and have different predilections and biases based on their own experience on how how important that is, right, Right. to them. Right, right. But also, if you lead with that and are really aggressive on the adultery piece, you're kind of forcing the other spouse to try to dig up dirt on you. Right. And then you're just embroiled in this
1: nasty business. Right. Exactly. And in in that case that you're talking about, interestingly interestingly enough, um, we did get some information that just landed in our lap where the husband had had. A digression himself and it was not nearly as long or lengthy or as involved as our as our clients nor as videotaped nor is nor is videotaped but it definitely happened and you know it was it was something that he I think thinks has been buried uh, under the sea nobody never he may be learning about it right now yeah yeah so in any event um so so that that's the kind of um battle that you start going down that road that costs tremendous amounts of of money to do that discovery and that work which ultimately when you get to the courthouse like if that case gets to the courthouse you've got the affair that our client had yes not good but you know he's going to be pointing the finger like he's lily white when in fact he hasn't been so i don't
2: do you want to
0: spend the money in
2: your estate
0: digging
1: up dirt and destroying your
2: Soon to be ex-spouse, yeah, and will your children be watching from yeah. the audience as yeah. all of that unfolds? Right. Um, right, It's it's definitely nasty, but it's definitely not uncommon, right? Either right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but and just to kind of close close the the discussion on the disproportionate share, other factors that might support a finding like that would be different ages of the spouses, or if one spouse has a health problem a significant
1: health problem um, yeah. right a
2: significant mm-hmm. health problem or if one spouse has other resources maybe, right 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 yeah okay yeah. so we are going to be back in just a moment and continue talking about the information that you will receive during your initial interview with your family lawyer
0: We now pronounce this Dallas Divorce Talk exclusively on RNCN. At first, I was afraid. I was petrified. I kept thinking I could never live
1: without you by myself.
0: You're listening to RNCN, the
1: digital destination for premium talk radio.
0: Celebrating the sanctity of good radio. This is Dallas Divorce Talk on RNCN.
2: And we are back. Dawn Budner and Carla Hallabrese with Dallas Divorce Talk, and we are talking about the initial consultation. And we want to say one more little thing about the discussion on your property rights in the initial consultation. Carla, I think there is a misconception out there about alimony. People think that there is no such thing as alimony in Texas. Do you hear that?
1: Well, yes, because it took us Texans a long time to get it. I think we were the last state in the union to actually have a statute, although that's been on the books for quite a long time now. Right. Yeah, but that's that. I do think that's still a misconception completely.
2: Yes, and in the last couple of weeks, I've had a couple of clients from states such as Connecticut, New Jersey, call and indicate their desire to come to Texas to enjoy their divorce process, (laughs) because in those states, you've got big time
1: alimony that
2: lasts in life, life for life life. long, New New
1: York, Connecticut. Yeah. I mean, we have a case in the office right now where we're kind of battling over that issue because uh, Connecticut is much more. Uh, generous generous, <laughs> generous is a, we say as yeah, moms and wives yeah yeah, yeah. generous to uh, to the moms and wives then um, than Texas is and so we're dealing with that right now um, in that case but um, but in Texas you have to be married uh, for 10 years before you can get any spousal maintenance any cash from your spouse You've right be married 10 years and
2: it's it's a pretty good hurdle because even if you're married 10 years you have to establish that given the distribution of assets in the divorce that the spouse who is requesting maintenance is not able to meet minimum reasonable needs right, right exactly and can't despite
1: diligent efforts obtain a job right that
2: They don't have the skills
1: or, you know, they're just not just not capable or able. And, you know, that's going to be more often older, you know, women, I would say. Right. Maybe haven't worked. Yeah. Haven't worked 25 years. You're 59 years old. You're approaching retirement. I mean, in that case, it's going to be tough to retool. But, you know, actually, 59, you know, even in early 50s, which, of course, what's 50 is the new 30 is that (laughs) but even 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 sometimes it's hard for those women you know to to get uh and find jobs that can help meet their minimum reasonable needs especially in dallas since we tend to like our stuff here our eating out and our exactly other stuff
2: (laughs) so what's the 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 maximum that that you can get if you're married for over 30 years Mm -hmm. then the maximum that you can get in terms of alimony is a 10 year duration, right? right? Mm-hmm. And a maximum of $5,000 per month or 20% of your spouse's income. Whichever is lower. Right. 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 So now you guys are fully armed with that information. Mm-hmm. So we wanna turn now to talking about the kids. Yeah, If there are kids involved in the divorce, what are you likely to hear? In the initial from consultation. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, you're you're likely to hear or to, to be asked, you know, who primarily takes care of the kids, who, um, you know, how, you're going to get a lot of questions about the role of the, let's say, your wife who's in a consultation. How involved is dad? How much does he, you know, attend the activities? Does he coach the little league? All that kind of stuff. And, you know, you're going to be asked... Um, things well, then you're, you're also going to be asked because it relates to children I mean you should you're probably always gonna get in every single consultation they're gonna ask you about drugs they're gonna ask you about alcohol um, they're gonna want to know if there's been any abuse in those areas so those are things that impact you know the the, the divorce um, and well let's specifically let me kids.
2: let's back up and tell folks who may not know what is Texas law on the standard, right? The standard possession time. What's kind of the general well, rule? Well, the
1: standard, the standard is that um, joint managing conservatorship, which means both parents are involved with the children, that they have rights, have and, duties. Have rights and duties. They have, um, the, the, you know, especially I remember the 90s. The 90s was for father's rights. That was huge. It, it's amazing it took that long, but that's when we really saw a lot of up, rising of, hey, dads have rights, too, and dads are important. And they are. They are super, Absolutely. super important. Um, so joint managing conservatorship is pretty much the case, unless there is a severe, a, a severe problem with one of the parents. I mean, a, right. a, a severe mental health problem.
2: And then we should say also, just in terms of arming folks with the basics, the standard possession in Texas is the first, third and fifth weekends and every Thursday night, right? Right. And that is considered the reasonable minimum standard if you've got two parents that are are
1: generally effective parents, right? Right, right. And the Thursday the weekend would begin on the Thursday. Right. Yeah. And then
2: 30 days in the summer.
1: 30 days in the summer if you live close. Right. Yeah.
2: So that's that's what we call a standard possession standard
1: possession order right and
2: if you don't go to court and you decide to settle the case among yourselves then you can actually tailor make
1: your possession schedule right you can tailor make it uniquely make it which is you know which is we do all the time it's pretty common and what about child support um child support is um an interesting uh there's a formula that um I tend to not look at too often because um, I do a lot of collaborative law. And this is going to be a pitch for collaborative uh, because typically in collaboration, we are getting our clients much more than the standard numbers. But um, it's a calculation um, based on how many children that are before the court and how many other children that may, uh, this is the obligor or, you know, let's say typical case, father, um, it has to support. So if a father has two kids in this case and has another child from another marriage, then that um, child support obligation is going to be lower in terms of the percentages that of his income that he has to pay.
2: Right. and And the general rule is going to be for one child, 20% of his net income. Right. And then if you've got two children, it goes to 25. But if right. you've got Another children from a different relationship, then there's going to be, you know, a okay. minor deduction right, on right, that number. Right. So there's a little chart that your attorney can show you yeah. and you can go over. But again, that is considered a minimum
1: standard. Right. Absolutely. Support. Minimum. And until the child is uh, 18 or graduates high school, whichever is later. And, and health insurance is absolutely required to yes. be provided. Health insurance. And you know what else is required now is life insurance, which is great. And that's been in the last, I don't know, maybe five years to seven years, give or take. And now you are able to get a life insurance policy that in case the obligor dies, then that will cover that person's obligation for child support. Make us do what we should do anyway. Right. That's right. <laughs> yes. That's
2: the hand of big brother, but that's okay. Because yeah. it's just for the kids, right? That's right. And, you know, something else that I think is really interesting that's happened in some of my cases lately is in connection with children who are 12 and older. Mm. and their rights to have opinions on these matters. Mm-hmm. But our friend Kevin, who's so amazing and does <laughs> the music for our show, is waving a finger at me. So Sorry I think, about that. Yeah. I guess we're going to have to tell you guys about it next time. <laughs> That's right. Next time. That's so way, Yeah, Come, Don't forget. We want you back. Yes. Yeah. Don't forget cool. to tune in next time to Dallas Divorce Talk on RNCN. And this is Dawn Budner and, and Carla, Carla Calabrese, Calabrese. Calabrese saying goodbye. Bye, Dallas.
1: For more information on Dallas Divorce Talk, visit us online at calabresehuff.com or check us out on Facebook and Twitter.